Hi, I'm Vanessa. I'm Elena. I'm Genesis. And I'm Cheyenne. And, and we're, we're Fulbright, Fulbright Latinx. Fulbright Latinx is an inclusive community that bridges the relationships between past, present, and potential Latinx Fulbrighters. Our mission is to highlight and celebrate our unique yet similar experiences and inspire more Latinx candidates to apply to the Fulbright program. With these efforts, we aim to paint a more accurate representation of our intersectional community to reshape global perceptions of U.S. leadership by elevating Latinx leaders that reflect the diversity of the world we actually live in. We hope that by centering our voices and increasing our visibility, Fulbright Latinx can offer a space where members of our comunidad see a reflection of themselves and are empowered to embark on a Fulbright journey of their own. Thanks for joining us. Hi everyone, and welcome back to Estamos Juntos, or Estamos Juntos, Fulbright Latinx Exchange Alumni Speaker Series podcast. We have a bittersweet episode for you today. Bitter because it is our last episode for this particular quote-unquote season under the Citizen Diplomacy Action Fund grant. But it's sweet because we were finally able to host a panel, not just over Zoom, but in person. Fulbright Latinx board member Cheyenne Garcia flew out to Miami to host this panel, which was moderated by Mark Reyes, a scholarship and fellowship advisor at Georgia State University's Honors College. And a very special shout out to Samila Sozik in the Miami-Dade College Wolfson campus in collaboration with the Office of International Education for this awesome opportunity. In this episode, panelists discuss different international exchange opportunities that exist out there and how they identify the program that was right for them. We hope that by hearing all the different opportunities that our panelists had access to, that it also helps guide you towards your own exchange journey. Now, let's get to the episode. Uh, my name is Mark Reyes. I am the, uh, I'm a Fulbright uh, alumni ambassador. I had a Fulbright to India in 2018-2019. I also had a Critical Language Enhancement Award. Uh, I currently work as the coordinator for Georgia State University's uh, uh, Honors College, their Office of National Scholarships and Fellowships. And you're tuning in today. Um, you're joining us here at the Wolfson campus at Miami-Dade College. So thank you for joining us for a very important discussion today. And I use the word discussion. That, that's what I want this to be. This is a conversation, a discussion about um, exchange programs, finding the right one for you. So. That's what you should be tuning in today. That's our panel title, Choosing the Exchange Program That's Right for You. We're going to speak for about, uh, I have some prepared questions. We'll talk about those for about 30 to 40 minutes, and then we'll leave plenty of time for student questions. We really want this to be uh, question and answer, people providing their perspectives, you asking uh, any and all questions from the big to the small. So that's what our goal is for today. So. You know who I am, but I'm just one piece of this uh, prestigious panel. So I'm going to ask the, the three panelists to introduce themselves and to say, um, you know, who they are, what they do, um, uh, where they went on their study abroad, and if they were the first person in their families to undertake a study abroad. So without further ado, let's uh, here meet, the, meet our panelists today. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Isabel Miramontes. I'm originally from Sacramento, California. 
Uh, I'm a first-generation college student and study abroad student. Uh, my family is Mexican descent, and um, I actually did the CLS program virtually 2021 for Arabic. Uh, I uh, did it all virtually, so it wasn't the full immersion that I would have obviously hoped for, but it was still such a wonderful experience. Uh, I also have experience studying abroad uh, directly enrolling to the uh, American University in Cairo, where I did a summer abroad in Egypt, specifically uh, the Alim program, focusing on Arabic, uh, Arabic training as well. Um, I'm actually a Navy veteran. Uh, my Previously, I was an information systems technician, and I currently walk, uh, work for the Office of English Language Programs for the U.S. Department of State. Really excited to be here with you guys all. Thank wow. you. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, hi everyone. My name is Natalie Natalie Morales Villa. I was born in Mexico, but I grew up in Gainesville, Georgia, which is also known as the poultry capital of the world. <laughs> Fun fact. So, so I heard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did my study abroad as a Gilman scholar in Peru, and I also had the opportunity to study abroad in Spain. My bachelor's was in political science and Spanish translation. And I just graduated in May from the Harvard Graduate School of Education with a master's in higher administration. I'm currently a business owner. So what I do is I do higher education consulting as well as Spanish translation for school districts. And I'm really happy because this year I founded my organization named Un Pedacito de Mexico or a piece of Mexico, which connects artisans in my hometown um, with students here by providing Latinx students with embroidered graduation stalls. And I actually have mine in my uh, pocket. I should wear it. I'll show it to you in just a bit. <laughs> wow. Um, by the way, I also did a minor in Spanish translation in college. So we have something in common now. <laughs> um, my name is Janet Neto. I was born and raised in Ecuador. I, after, no, when I was in my sophomore year in college, I did an exchange uh, volunteer program. So I didn't do a uh, study abroad. And that just opened the doors for me to travel. So when I graduated, I decided that I wanted to do something similar, uh, but for a long-term period. So I joined the Peace Corps and I went to China in 2017 to 2019. I'm a return Peace Corps volunteer, very proud of that. Um, I currently work for the, uh, for the General Service Administration and something that I'm very proud of, uh, well, in my Peace Corps service, I started a project called Miss Mochilera, Backpacker Girl. Um, it's not longer something that I'm continuing doing, uh, but um, I hope that in the near future I can I can go back to it because uh, the main goal of that project is to empower other uh, people, especially women, to, to travel. Thank you so much. And then we, we have both uh, uh, in-person uh, panelists, but we also have some panelists joining us on Zoom. So our uh, our digital, our virtual panelists, please introduce yourself as well. Oh, thanks, Ivana. I was waiting for you. I was like, I'm so excited to learn more about this really nice lady. <laughs> um, hi, everyone. I'm Abby Godoy, and I am in Belize currently after a year-long being away. So I'm really excited to be here, which is, I'm just going to apologize. You're going to hear all the noise of the barrio happening around me because <laughs> I couldn't find my headphones. Um, so yeah, so I am a first-generation Belizean. My mom's family migrated from El Salvador during the war. 
So that makes me the first study abroad. And I'm a Rhodes Scholar. So I did my two-year master's in Oxford, uh, which was really nice. I graduated in August. And I have a master's in social anthropology. I'm not sure if I said that already. And I'm currently doing uh, work with a new initiative by the Rhodes Trust. Um, so I'm in Belize right now, working on my own organization called Yellow Bee. And so I'm working with period poverty. And so the initial project just kind of started off working with rural indigenous peoples in Belize and delivering reusable packs. Um, but now I'm trying to start a social enterprise where we can make textiles out of seaweed and start making pads out of that. And hopefully eventually bring it to all of Latin America. Thank you so much. And then uh, we have at least one more. Yeah. I regret being last because what an intimidating and accomplished panel over here. Congratulations to everybody on just being phenomenal human beings. My name's Ivana Ojeda. I was born and raised in Miami, Florida. Um, I was the first in my family to leave home to go to college. I went to Syracuse University in upstate New York. I studied political science, math, and international relations. And then I moved to New York and got my master's in special education. My first time ever studying abroad was actually after my master's program, after working for a few years, I did two Fulbrights in Spain. And right now I'm currently living in the Commonwealth of Dominica in Eastern Caribbean. And I'm working with the Ministry of Education here, revamping their teachers training program and training administrators and teachers in special education best practices. That's where I am. Oh, that's, that's incredible. And it's great that we have this this mix of people with CLS background and Gilman and Fulbright and Peace Corps. So this is a, we're really covering for one panel, we're really covering a lot of different exchange programs. So thank you for the introductions. Let's move now into the question. So let's start sort of at the beginning. So my first question to, to everybody and both, whether you're in person or virtual, um, you know, feel free to, to jump in, but let's just kind of start at the beginning. Um, how did you make the decision to undertake a study abroad? And did you work with a particular office on your campus or an advisor when deciding? Which, whatever wants to go first, um, lead off our discussion. Um, I think, it'll, I don't know if it's easier to just <laughs> 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 no, <laughs> sure. um, So I actually made the decision, um, it was early on in my undergrad career. I was a non-traditional student. So initially, because uh, I'm a Navy veteran after I did the military, I utilized my GI Bill um, to go to college. Um, had it not been for that, I probably wouldn't have gone to college. Um, so pretty much, uh, I think it was my first year, I was navigating uh, a program, which is, uh, it's it's only served at five different institutions in the U.S. It's a flagship program, so it's a language flagship, which pretty much um, focuses on trying to help someone become like pretty much fluent in a language. So I joined that program early on, and when I started joining that, um, part of that is also to study abroad. Um, what I technically what I was supposed to do was study abroad in Morocco, but I had a very strong connection and like passion for learning more about Egyptian culture, mm -hmm. Egyptian dialect. It is the most commonly spoken and understood dialect because it's used in media, it's used in movies, uh, music, just different things. So I had decided to do that um, then, and I didn't really know if it was feasible because I never initially envisioned like pretty much like a Latina person going abroad and studying abroad usually. So I actually did my undergrad at the University of Arizona and people that I've previously seen do study abroad were so usually like white Americans that usually their parents pay for the, 
the study abroad program, they didn't really have to worry about anything uh, financially. And so that was one of the hurdles that I wasn't too sure of going in. But fortunately, with uh, uh, different applications for um, certain like grants and also like the post 9-11 GI Bill, I was able to, to do it. And luckily, I had a really good study abroad office that I was able to work with. And they were very supportive and provided me with all the materials that I would need or directed me in the correct uh, direction, which was really awesome. Anybody else have a similar experience or something much different? Yeah, so for me, I'm, I was also a first-generation college student. And because I was a Spanish translation uh, major, I knew that I wanted to go to another country. But I was as soon as I saw the cost of the program, I was immediately deterred. I wasn't aware that you could use Pell Grant, that there was a Yale scholarship, um, that also your university itself also has funding to pay for your study abroad. And for me, it worked out perfectly because I was able to study abroad in Spain. Um, at the time, I wasn't a U.S. citizen yet, so I couldn't even apply for Gilman. But I did uh, have my study abroad in Spain fully funded. And then for Peru, I was able to obtain the Gilman scholarship. Um, I applied three times. I did not get it the first two times because I didn't work with the office in my college specifically designed to help students um, apply for all these national competitive scholarships. And I'm so glad that eventually I encountered Dr. Lin. I graduated in 2019 and I still keep up with her. She's still always trying to convince her alumni to apply to Fulbright <laughs> and other programs. And she's truly a blessing. But for me specifically, um, you know, of course, I was born in Mexico. I grew up speaking Spanish, but my Spanish was more an informal type of Spanish, right? Because my family didn't have a formal education. So for me in English, it's like saying, oh, you speak country Spanish versus, I mean, con country English, right? With country accent versus if you come from a city or so that's kind of how it is in Spanish. And I wanted to perfect the way I spoke Spanish. I wanted to perfect my writing. I wanted to learn the accents. And that's why I ended up choosing Spain and Peru. And it was immensely, immensely helpful. Wow. Wow. <clears throat> For me, I, similar story for the first generation. Um, I was in a private college for my uh, freshman and sophomore year. So I knew that it was not going to be possible to even do a study abroad. I really wanted it to. I ended up switching, uh, transferring to a public college, Brooke College in, in New York City. And they had this um, association for, uh, it's called IESE, A-I-E-S-E-C. And it was a short-term volunteer abroad program for seven weeks, which for me was perfect. I was able to do it over the summer. And Brooke College also had a grant which I applied for, and they paid for my flight tickets, um, application fees, so everything was covered. And I chose to go to Brazil because when I was, uh, when I was living in Ecuador, there was this um, Brazilian dancing group that I just fell in love with. And since then, I wanted to learn Portuguese. I love Brazilian culture, and I knew that was the country to go. Uh, this this college uh, association uh, had uh, some sort of mentorship or, or other students who were supportive in the application process and also while being in the host country. So that was really helpful for me. Um, and when I when I come back from Brazil the first time, because I actually did it twice, um, I just I just loved the experience and it was worth it. And I didn't have to take any any loans or anything like that. Any of our online panelists want to add their perspective about how they, how they made 
this decision and, and who they worked with? So um, I actually went to the National University of Belize. So it's only probably been existing for 15 years. Um, so the resources to kind of do study abroad were very limited. I think they only really work with the Taiwanese government and maybe the Erasmus in Spain. And so I kind of always knew that I wanted to travel abroad and do my master's somewhere else. Um, I remember when I was a lot younger and I was like 16 and I heard about Oxford, I was like, yeah, this is the dream school to be writing in this really old town and doing creative writing would be so cool. Um, but I kind of forgot about that. You know, the more you get into adulthood, you're kind of like, you got to be really realistic about this. And then it kind of came down to a financial issue where I was like, I really want to apply to do my master's, but... I don't have money to spend 70 US dollars on an application. And so I did a simple Google search. I was like, okay, which like scholarships abroad have completely free signups and will take me? And the roads ended up being the first one to pop up. And so that kind of started to narrow down the list. And um, I always laugh because it was the first one that I applied to and it's the one I got. So I was like, I didn't have to go further than that. But um, I know it's a lot more difficult, um, but I'm definitely a big believer in the Google search. <laughs> Free is my favorite word. <laughs> I love that everybody was able to get complete funding for all of these programs because there is so much money available to us. It's just we don't always know how to access it because we're not taught in traditional school settings how to access all of these funds. So when I went to college, I had never even thought of studying abroad. My family was like, we came over here that way you wouldn't have to go anywhere else. Like we did the sacrifice for you. You're good here type of thing. <laughs> Um, and after I graduated, I, you know, I was like, okay, I did what I'm supposed to do. I did the schooling, but I still feel like I don't know enough about other communities. There's so much to see in the world that I just hadn't been aware of when I was in high school or in college. And I remember my undergrad scholarship was called the Posse Foundation. It's based in Miami and in lots of other big cities in um, the United States. And when we were in high school, they introduced the program of Fulbright to us. And they basically framed it in the sense of like, hey, when you go into your to your universities, you're going to hear about lots of study abroad programs like Fulbright, like Gilman, like Rhodes. And these terms are going to sound confusing. Let's break it down for you before you enter college. And at 17, I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. That makes zero sense. Until I was working for a few years in New York City and I was like, you know what, this is my opportunity to try to change course and not feel like I haven't done what I've wanted to set out to do. So I applied to Fulbright directly. I probably should have gotten the support of my university because universities offer complete support with application materials. I mean, they review your reference letters, your recommendations, your personal statements, your diversity statements, your letters of intent, like they review everything flushed through. I was a little hard-headed and decided not to do that, but it worked out for me. <laughs> um, and that's how I was able to find Fulbright to go to Spain. And then my next program was I had just finished my Fulbright this past summer. And hearing for two years, I had been living in Spain, hearing all of the news of what was going on in the States. And I knew I was just not in the headspace to be able to process transitioning back from life in Europe to life in the U.S. And so I found the Peace Corps through a response program. So it's a shorter term service that also is completely funded and went through the application process again, very much just on my own, but knowing that 
since I had previously done this, there was this commonality of being able to do it again, because so many of these programs have similar participants between them. Usually it's getting your foot through the first door that's hard, and then the rest of them kind of trickle open or the windows start to be unlocked, and they really do become easier to access. No, I I, I completely agree about one um, of these awards do lead to other awards, and then, um, you know, I... I also recommend uh, or second what you were saying about working with your campus committee. I work with my uh, Georgia State students this year on the undergraduate. I was in charge of that committee, worked on the graduate student one. It's always great to go through, but if you, you still can't apply as um, at large or, or an independent candidate. So, um, you know, that, that's always an option too. But I will say that, you know, it's great to hear all this, you know, discussion of Gilman and CLS. Um, you know, I also, as a fellowship and scholarship coordinator myself, you know, there's always there's the Boren Scholarship or the Boren Fellowship for undergraduates or graduate students. There's even the, the Gilman McCain Scholarship for the, um, the the children or spouses of uh, activated uh, or active duty military personnel. So there's so many of these options. Both start, you know, definitely do the Google search, but then also work with your study abroad office. So um, I, the, the next couple of questions I had, um, we've kind of already addressed them. Like, how how'd you find out about your program? You know, um, did you hear, how'd you hear about this? Um, so let's move on to uh, a later one. So I, I want to ask the panelists, um, you know, if you were a student that was interested in undertaking a study abroad, you know, what would be your first um, step? You know, where should they start? You, you have the ambition for it. You want to do it. So what's that first practical step you need to take to take this from a dream to make it into reality? I would say, firstly, to kind of understand, like, What's your motivation or goal for studying abroad? Why do you want to study abroad? Why are you interested in it? And use that, uh, write that down, something um, before you start researching the different programs. So that way you can kind of see what actually is tailored to what you're wanting to achieve, what you're wanting to accomplish. Uh, I think also communicating with alumni of study abroad is definitely super essential because you get their insight into that new experience if you hadn't experienced it prior. And just having that insight is super helpful and motivating if it's something that you don't foresee for yourself in your future. Um, and also they can kind of direct you to possibly a program that would be beneficial to you and what you're wanting to accomplish. And some of these organizations have alumni ambassadors, correct? Yes. Uh, <laughs> so uh, some of them do have alumni ambassadors, um, which is also very interesting because apart from being able to reach out directly to alumni ambassadors, you can also join affinity groups specifically based on what you identify as. Or, um, for instance, if you like music, uh, there's affinity groups for that. And there's affinity groups uh, specific for, let's say, you know, focus on a language when you're going abroad. There's so many different ones that you can join, and that definitely helps you, especially if you have that specific purpose for going abroad. I was going to say, you're also a CLS. Oh, yeah. So I'm also a CLS alumni uh, alumni ambassador for 2020. The 2021 period is when I studied, but now this year I'm doing the ambassador stuff. Yeah. And I, I say that because I am a Fulbright alumni ambassador, and it's, it's like being, you know, a super alumni and that, you know, I, I talk about this stuff for a living, and now I talk about it as a hobby as well. So they're, they're you know, they're alumni, but then there's also people that, that want to do this and talk about this all the time. Um, to the rest of our panelists, you know, what's what's that first step uh, a prospective applicant should take? Yeah, I would definitely say make 
an appointment with your major advisor or the office that specifically focuses on study abroad because they're going to be able to tell you if a specific program, well, first, they're going to tell you what programs are available and two, if they fit within your graduation date. For me, it worked out perfectly because I was able to get course credit for absolutely every single course that I took in both Spain and Peru and it was worth three classes. So okay. it's like I killed two birds with one stone because I did both of my programs during the summer. Um, and I also would say time. Time is so important. I would recommend you start looking into the requirements, making those appointments, thinking about your essays a year before you actually go into your study abroad program. Because you're, you're going to need to figure out the funding. Um, are you going to need to work the summer before to save for that study abroad? When are the deadlines for scholarships? When are the deadlines for to connect with your the study abroad advisor? So again, Time is to me the most important problem. So your study, study your study abroad didn't delay your graduation or anything like that. It actually the second one did because I would have graduated in May, but the study abroad program was during the summer. But regardless, it was hundred percent worth it. Right. I ended up graduating in August. Right. And then most people yeah. usually don't do two, but if you didn't notice one, you still would have been right on Yeah, it still would have been right on track to graduate. So it was worth it. Yeah. But again, that's why you need to connect with your major advisor. <laughs> So I, I never did a study abroad program, but um, I, I agree with you. I think it's very important to to find out why is the reason that you want to do either a you know, study abroad program, volunteer abroad program. I think finding the purpose is, is key because um, I've met people who, you know, do this kind of programs just to have it in their resumes, which is valid. Mm -hmm. You know, there are other people who want to go abroad because they want to get immersed in the culture, practice the language, whatever the case is. So I think that's that's key. Um, but if you just want to, you know, do it for personal growth, for curiosity of being uh, immersed in another culture, there's tons of programs. Just Google it. So mm -hmm. that's that's my answer. Just find out your purpose first. Cool. And then uh, Abby or Ravana, any? What, what are your first steps? Mine is going to sound very repetitive. It's just do it. We get so <laughs> trapped into our heads about okay, but I didn't plan my essay a year in advance, but I didn't reach out to my recommenders a year in advance. Oh, but I didn't find the funding before I applied. And we just waste so much time in this like anxiety train of thought of what if, what if, but I didn't, but oh no, just do it. Just take a minute, write down whatever those fears are on a paper, then crumble it up and throw it away and just start getting to work and doing it. Because the only person who can say no to you having this opportunity is the committee who reads your application. And if we never get them in, we never even give them a chance to see how exceptional we are. So really just feel confident in yourself and take the risk and just put in the application. The rest of the pieces 100% come through when you realize how expansive your network is. I mean, your network just expanded five more people based on our stories too, right? So all of that stuff really does come into play once you start the process. I think my little practical advice is if you do have the time, let's just say that you started thinking about it a year in advance, I would look at what exchange program I want to apply to and kind of of look at the requirements and see what steps I can practically take in the next year to kind of build me towards that. Um, for example, if you want to go to Taiwan, maybe it would be really good to like start doing some language immersion just to be able to have the basics down and that would look really good in your application or just kind of starting to think, okay, why is it that I really want to go here? And that's just kind of the way that I would do it. Um, 
But to be really fair, I had absolutely no long year wait of planning for uh, roads. But I think that the second that you want to do study abroad, it probably is already a sign that you've taken steps in your life beforehand that would allow you to pursue this opportunity. You just haven't realized it or thought about it really hard. That's great. I, I do want to echo the, the, the advice about time because, you know, both the, the time to work on your application, but also the time to take a break from your application or the time to get away from it or the time to get feedback or the time to, you know, talk to your letter writer, your references, or just your advisors about why you want to do this. I think talking it out really, really can be helpful, you know, help you think out loud, but just having that time in between, you can't work on this all year. You have, a, you have other classes, you have jobs, you have internships, you have family and personal responsibilities. You have, you have lives, like you can't just do this um, all the time. So certainly that idea of time. But the other thing I'll say is, you know, as someone who's reviewed Gilman applications, I'm always impressed by the students who can make the professional, the career, and the personal case for why they need to go to a country. And if somebody can kind of do all three, I think, boy, that's, it's a no-brainer. This person should not only go, but we'd be really lucky for them to represent us, whether it's Gilman or Boren or, or CLS or, or Fulbright. Um, so now since we've kind of talked about like how you made the decision, what your first steps were, I want to move to uh, the next question. And okay, so... You, you do your application, you get the good email that says congratulations. Uh, and so you're, you do it, you, you do your study abroad. So I'm asking them, you know, what did a typical day look like while you were studying abroad? What was it like while you were overseas? What, um, what sort of activities or events did you do while you were participating in that country? Sort of paint the picture of, of, um, of what that was like. So I'm going to... For this specific question, I'm going to focus on my actual study abroad, not CLS, just because CLS I did virtually, and I don't think I might chime in at the end about it, but right now I'm going to just focus on my direct enrollment. So I directly enrolled into uh, the American University in Cairo. Uh, a typical day for that, because it was technically an intensive Arabic program, um, it would have consisted of pretty much I, I was doing five classes initially, and one of them was a media course, one of them was a modern standard Arabic course, an Egyptian dialect course, um, the other two courses, I can't re really remember exactly the courses. But um, at first I was a little overwhelmed because I will say I felt um, a little bit of culture shock initially, which I didn't think would happen, but I guess traveling with the Navy with the, on a ship is a lot different than traveling alone um, in a country that you hadn't previously been. So I will say that uh, it was a lot at once, so what I ended up doing was um, connecting with the international student office at the AUC and asked them if, there's, if it's required that I take the full course load for the program or can I like make it to where I'm only taking like three classes, something like that. And that they had said, it's not a requirement. So if I wanted to do that, I could. So I did that early on. And that actually was good for me because I wanted what I necessarily what I wanted from the experience was not only to improve my Arabic, but to really immerse myself in the culture and take part in different cultural events and just be able to go different places and meet different people. And so I ended up doing that. And it gave me a lot of extra time to not to just so be focused on the language training, but also like have balance with what do I actually want from this experience? Do I want to just be studying the whole time, drilling myself, or do, do I want to do something else with it? And specifically, I was in flagship, which flagship is so focused on 
language and just Arabic. And I was also ma uh, majoring in Arabic uh, back in the U.S. So realistically, I would have had the opportunity to focus on Arabic when I got back as much as I would want to. So um, a regular day would consist of I would go to class. I would get picked up by the shuttle and taken to the university. Uh, I would do the classes. And then afterwards, I, uh, I would be done probably around like two-ish, I would say. And I would have like the whole rest of the day to like do things. So if we didn't have a cultural event planned, which usually the international office had like a whole thing planned where we were able to go to the pyramids, the Sphinx. We went to um, some, some other cities. We went to the museums. Uh, we also did a trip through uh, like some towns where uh, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph were traveling when they were doing their travels through Egypt. Uh, so there was like a lot of different really cool cultural events that we got to do, experience the food. And um, apart from doing those things uh, with the school, uh, I was able to also do those things on my own and just having the comfort zone to be able to do so. Because I, I did say at the beginning, I did have some culture shock. Specifically for CLS, there wasn't, it, there was no going abroad. It was all virtually. And that was definitely a lot more course load focused on Arabic because I was in Arabic the whole entire day. And even after the end of the day, we had like a lot of homework and I, my cohort was only five people, which is really interesting. And because of that, I had like six hours of homework afterwards. So it was like really consumed with Arabic. So it was different, a different experience, but I was able to still do cultural events and like they would take us around on Zoom like, to different places. That's what, that's what that entailed. For me, I'll go ahead and say that I was at a huge advantage when I studied abroad in Spain and Peru because it was a language that I spoke at home, right? Accents might have been different. So for me, I found myself more than anything trying to find similarities between Mexican culture and Spanish and Peruvian culture. My typical day, I stayed for both study abroad, I stayed with the host family, which was really nice because their home cooked meals were amazing. <laughs> and my study abroad were super neat as well because they included excursions during the weekends and during the day and the afternoons. So I would go to school from about nine to three when I was in Spain. And then in Peru, classes were from about eight to 1 p.m. Then you know, we would have lunch. During the weekends, we got to see Places such as the, oh my gosh, it just went away. <laughs> Blank spot. Um, no, but I got to go to Machu Picchu. I got to go to uh, Rainbow Mountain. And in Spain, I got to visit three different cities. It was absolutely beautiful because I stayed in southern Spain and the, the beach was there. So we would go to the beach every single day. For Spain, I went with a group of about 12 people or so. And the school where we were studying was also part of a group of students from all over the world. So that was me getting to interact with people from Europe and other different countries. And then in Peru, I only went with three other students. And they were also from Georgia. Uh, but again, to go back on, I think a lot of our experiences, most of the people that I got to study with, they were um, you know, white Americans, or they also came from a background where their parents were going to be study abroad. And, and for me, I had to hustle and apply and apply and apply a bunch of scholarships to be able to study abroad. So that was my experience. I'm going to talk about my Peace Corps experience. I, well, I, I did have the language barrier because I didn't speak Chinese at all when I got there. Um, I still think that Peace Corps does a great job uh, training volunteers, especially the first three months, because there's a three-month uh, period where you get to live with a host family, you get to 
learn the language or, you know, uh, if you already come in with, with some language, then you get placed in an advanced, you get placed in an advanced uh, language class. And also you just get to learn a lot about the, the culture. Um, so after those three months and after you start in, that you are going to be there for two years, uh, you get assigned to your site. I, I went to a site called Chongqing. Well, that was a big city. Um, but the, the town was called Tianjian, which was, I was one of the only two foreigners in town for those two years. I loved it. I, and, I, and I mean that. Um, so what I was doing there or what a typical day looked like for me, I, so the primary activity for Peace Corps in China was to teach English. So I was teaching probably 20 to 25 hours um, to college students. Then during my second year um, or second semester, I believe, uh, Peace Corps has you to come up with a secondary project or activity. So I chose two. I started a Spanish class, a Spanish my native language, and also uh, there was a lot of interest among the students there because of the song Despacito. <laughs> that was fun. And because of that, I also started a Zumba class, both for you know my students and also in the community. I didn't know how to teach Zumba. I just love dancing. Of course, I'm Latina. I love dancing. <laughs> um, so I had to teach myself how to, how to teach Zumba. And I built up my community outside of the school as well through a local gym where that was where I practiced my Chinese. So I used to go there almost every day except for Sundays. Um, I used to work out a lot. And also I, I, I taught Zumba there. So it was, it was an interesting experience because at this local gym, nobody spoke Chinese. I mean, nobody spoke English. So it was, it was tough. I don't know how I did it, but, but it was a lot fun. Any of our, uh, our virtual panelists want to talk about um, what their day was like? And then we'll, we'll move on to uh, another question. Uh, so when I moved to the UK, I moved during 2020 in October. So it was like right in the middle of like their harshest lockdowns. So my typical day was try and be active, fail at being active, log into class at 10 a.m., go downstairs with your housemates and see if you guys will like try and cook something new or different. I did make them tacos from scratch one day, which I was very proud of. Um, a lot of them were Eastern European, so they'd obviously never had that experience. Um, but my second year was definitely way better. <laughs> the bar was really low. Uh, but a typical day in my second year was really, um, I'd get up in the morning and be active. So yoga was really a big thing. And then I'd go to my in-person, which was like, hey, I've been seeing you for a year, but I haven't actually ever seen you. This is so cool. Um, and then probably go get coffee, um, go to the library. My college had a 24-hour library. So it was very normal to see people there at 4 a.m. typing away, reading, um, and then I'd probably head home and call my family. I think that when you're so far away, making time to like check in on a different family member every day of the week is super important. I love that. My my beginning one was very experienced because I also started Fulbright in the midst of COVID. But both the Fulbright program and the Peace Corps program are work-based programs. So the story seems a little different than if you're studying abroad while you're still doing your undergrad or your graduate studies. So my day-to-day -day looked like I would go to work, 
And then after work, it was really up to you to find a way to integrate into the community. I will say one of the things that was very positive is that going through a program like Fulbright or like the Peace Corps is that you're not alone. You're going with other people that have similar narratives to yourself. On the flip side, though, if you ground yourself too, too tightly within the other Fulbrighters or too, too tightly with the other Peace Corps people, then you miss out on the fantastic opportunity to really embed yourself and integrate yourself into the community. So some of the things that I would try to do were um, I would in Spain, I would join language exchanges. They had intercambios is what they would call them. Spanish is my first language, so I did not go to learn Spanish, but there were lots of natives that wanted to practice English or lots of natives that wanted to practice French and then I could practice French, right? So I would purposely go to those spaces, even though the language wasn't a barrier, just to be able to integrate more with some of the locals in the community. I am obsessed with dancing, so I would tell all of my coworkers that I wanted to find a space to be able to dance, like bachata, merengue, salsa, whatever it was, zumba didn't care. And they were able to connect me with other groups that were able to do some of those activities that I really liked. So I think what I hadn't expected was that these programs I thought would mimic work culture in the U.S. where we tend to take our work home and it does become to be, it does get to be challenging balancing out your work life and your personal life. And what I've learned is that international experiences really have such a better grasp on that work-life balance where once we clock out of work, I did not expect myself to be able to integrate and join the gym or go to a dance class or go hiking to a waterfall. But that is what the local culture is. And the more that we express our interest to the community, the more receptive the community is in answering it and incorporating us into those experiences. That's that's excellent. Yeah, I was, I was actually going to ask about how you, having folks deal with homesickness or, or sort of being away, but I feel like you already answered that in terms of, you know, dance or music or, or staying in touch with family. So with the time we have left, because I do want there to be time for questions, we'll just, uh, I have these kind of two questions that we'll close with. So the first is, um, you know, what, uh, how can a study abroad program um, define broadly? How can it aid in your career or professional development? And really, you know, sort of the big picture question is like, what are the benefits of doing a study abroad program? I would say, uh, first and foremost, based on what your motivation was, let's say if you're going for language study, then it, it's very beneficial for you to immerse yourself and to, to gain that language um, in a different way in, in how it is in that culture. Um, you're hearing it like everywhere around you. Um, but even if you're not going for a language uh, in general, that intercultural communication and connection that you're making with the local community is very powerful. And that alone gives you, it's it's a, not just like a skill that you're getting. So it's definitely a hard skill because you're learning to um, adapt in a quick environment that you might have no familiarity with. Um, additionally, uh, I know mentioned earlier that it's something that many people use on their resume and they put it on the resume. Yeah, like that is one thing that is very marketable to uh, uh, different uh, hiring personnel because you know you're able to adapt in uh, possibly an environment that might be hostile or possibly where you might feel stressed. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, I had definitely experienced culture shock, which I didn't expect. And I was able to navigate that and figure out, okay, well, how do I get around this but still get what I need to out of this experience and um, enjoy it and not let it take like 
hold me down from uh, being able to grow. But realistically, I would say my study abroad in Egypt was um, definitely something that I, I took on that I felt, even though I was so like nervous about it and I, I didn't know what was going on, I was able to grow from it. And I think any study abroad, you're able to grow because I don't think you're able to be the same person that you were before you studied abroad. Like sometimes coming back, you're like thinking like, oh, this person doesn't want to hear or doesn't understand like how the culture is, like how could you have done this? Or sometimes even your identity might come into play where it might be questioned like, oh, the U.S., for example, in my case, oh, the U.S. thinks this or uh, what are your views on this? You agree with this person and that's the president leading, like different things like that might come into play where it's like you learn how to maneuver that and talk about those things in a way with other people that might not understand it. And at the same time, vice versa, like you're gaining that uh, culture, that information from that community that you're in. And it also just broadens your mindset about the world. So I think in any, in any matter, you're going to go from the experience professionally and personally. So yeah, yeah. So professionally, because now I am certified in Spanish translation, I'm also able to back it up. Like say, I study abroad in Peru, I study abroad in Spain, and I have a cultural perspective of how different how different both ways of speaking Spanish are. Um, I'm also able to negotiate better pay and salary because I have that knowledge and I have that background. It's on my resume and it's the lived experiences. And I do want to add one tip about how to deal with homesickness. <laughs> take a snack. Or if you take your favorite snack, your favorite chips that you might not find in that foreign country, for me, I grew up in a super traditional Mexican home, eating super traditional foods. I love spicy food and Mexican candy, the chips, right? <laughs> and when I was in Spain, Spain doesn't really have spicy food. So, like, I was <laughs> dying for, like, salsa valentina or, like, takis, the same as Peru. So, like, now I know when I travel abroad, see, for Peru, I was prepared because I took my salsa valentina, I took a snack, and that helped with the home sickness. <laughs> Take a snack. I'll take that. that yeah. That's it. Um, I think the benefits are endless in, you know, both professionally, personally, or even spiritual. Um, but I will say that definitely you will stand out in job interviews or even networking events when you talk about your experiences abroad because you will do it in a way that um, it will be just very genuine. And it's, you have to do it. That, that's all I have to say. You have to go for it. And uh, I agree with, with both of you. When you come back, you become, you're a different person. You, you become a better person. So that will show in, in anything professionally, personally. Uh, yeah, I mean, my study abroad has obviously completely shifted my entire life. Um, yeah, um, right now I currently have a two-year visa to work in the UK thanks to my study abroad. Um, obviously, I'm exploring this really great opportunity to start my social enterprise. Um, it's just been really great. The Rhodes Net Network is like really massive. And so I think that just coming from such a small university and then putting being put in this huge place, you're like, okay, I used to think that I was very limited in this space. And now literally I could go anywhere in the entire world and be like a very great presence and even being a part of this panel it's like something that I probably would not have imagined for myself two years ago and so yeah I think this study abroad can really like open doors it can change your entire career path you could think that you're going to be an English teacher for the rest of your life and then bam you're doing a degree in social anthropology and now you're trying to become a social enterprisee so you know I think that the study abroad 
can really take you anywhere. I completely agree. And I think everybody's already highlighted it. It's not just a professional development. It really is a personal development too. I don't think you fully identify how resourceful you can be until you are thrown into a community that you assumed you knew about, but you really didn't know about. And then because of that resourcefulness, you really do learn how to advertise yourself. Um, I think one of the things that tends to steer people away sometimes with study abroad programs is that they're not sure if they can transfer those skills in a job application or in an interview or into a different sector, right? And every day that you're studying abroad or that you're working abroad is immediately transferable into any career path that you choose, right? We live in such a diversified and interdependent community that regardless of what sector you work in, you're always going to be asked to explain when you worked in a team that was different from yourself. And when you're in an abroad program, a trip to the market becomes a challenge sometimes because there's just different roles and customs at play with any exchange in a marketplace that you may not have known known of beforehand, right? So all of those skills that you use on the day-to-day immediately becomes uh, directly relatable to whatever the field is that you're transitioning into after the study abroad or the work abroad program. Uh, all I'll add is that, um, you know, in, in my experience, you know, going through Fulbright, you know, Fulbright is open to all disciplines, all departments, all academic backgrounds. So I think that's the case for a lot of these study abroad awards. So again, it's it's not like you just have to fit into one box or just, you know, study one thing. They, they really do want the, you know, the diversity of the applicant, and but in terms of also you know, not just racial, uh, ethnic, gender, sexuality, but also um, uh, discipline, um, you know, what, what they want to do for their career. So uh, we're coming up on about the hour for the panel. So we're just going to close with one final question and then we'll do our Q&A. Um, so uh, the last thing, well, I'll sort of bring it back to the beginning. So to all the panelists, what do you wish you had known before you started applying for your study abroad? and while you were on it. So I, I guess I'm kind of cheating and asking two things, but um, you know, what, um, if you go back and tell your, your earlier self, what do, you, what do you wish you had known then? I think for me, I wish I would have knew more early on how to navigate the financial aspect of it, what grants were available, what could I have applied for scholarship wise. Um, I learned that through the process, but knowing that earlier on, that probably would have definitely helped put my mind at ease when it came to uh, figuring out the direct enrollment. Um, for CLS, that wasn't something I had to worry about because that's fully funded. So I didn't have to worry about that. And that goes same for if you're in person, they also cover the expenses of travel and um, going abroad and, and your studies um, and cultural events. So in that case, it, it would have been covered by the government. Um, but in this case, like in my case, it was like I had to use part of my GI Bill. And then I was able to, luckily, I got a scholarship through the Honors College, which was so great and like super helpful. <laughs> um, and then uh, I guess the other thing I would say I wish I would have known um, was that like anybody can do it. And like sometimes, I, and I think one of my greatest things starting out was, is someone like me, is, are they able to go abroad? I don't know why I thought that way, but that was just my mindset. Like I don't see other other like little Latinas going around who studying abroad anywhere. So, <laughs> and that was just particularly for my experience. I'm not sure if that's everyone's experience, but that's just kind of how I felt and like a little bit lonely starting the process. So I think that was it, just knowing what the resources were as far as financial and like you could do it. Don't, don't not envision yourself doing something just because you don't see someone else that looks like you're not doing it, I guess. Yeah. I, yeah. I, 
strongly recommend, yeah, what sort of, you know, university or internal resources you have. In fact, I know at my university, they, it's part of the student fees. They pay as, as part of the international education fee. So in a way, they're already paying for it. You want to get the, you want to use that resource. You want to be able to take advantage of it. So, you know, see what's already available. And if you have to apply for external things, do it. You can, you can win those. So for me, I wish I had known that if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. <laughs> because I applied for a Fulbright to Mexico. I was so excited. I worked so hard on that application. I did so many drafts. They were reviewed. Um, I thought my application was perfect. My advisor even told me, hey, your application, like, it's pretty good. You're probably going to get it. And I got rejected for an English teaching assistantship in Mexico. And I was really sad. But then on the flip side, I got accepted to Harvard. So for my master's. <laughs> right. So again, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. Yeah. If it's not, it's not. It's all about timing. Not bad counseling. And I know yeah. that I'm still in time to apply for a full break, So <laughs> there's still hope. <laughs> um, I definitely agree with both of you. I, I wish I would have known about these programs and that it's possible to do them at a younger age, mm -hmm. like even in high school. Because um, I would have loved to, to do a study abroad program. Um, maybe I can do it now if I go for my master's. Mm -hmm. It's never too late. <laughs> um, and also, as, as far as financial um, struggles, which I also I also had, I forgot to mention that you know even if there you cannot find or you cannot qualify for for fellowships scholarships, there's always a way to crowdfund. That's mm -hmm. what I did for my second trip to to Brazil, which actually helped me to get into Peace Corps. Um, I, I, I had already graduated from, from my bachelor's and I didn't qualify for this grant uh, that school offered. So I started a GoFundMe um, account and I was able to do it again. And, and that's how later on I, I joined this course. So don't give up. There's always a way. I kind of just wish I could tell myself, like, just be very confident. Um, you don't have to wait till you get something or you do something like there's never the perfect time to apply just do it I'm gonna sound just like Ivana you know like just do it <laughs> which I think is something that I had kind of wished because I feel like if maybe when I was younger I had just had that courage I probably would have done more study abroads or started looking at different study abroads instead of waiting till I'd gotten into like a reasonable part of my like school trajectory to apply to somewhere I thought that I met all of this criteria when truly if you kind of just know or in the space, you probably realize, okay, you don't have to have it all figured out. You can just start up at any time. Here in Dominica, everybody loves to say, mind your business for anything. And I think that is my biggest piece of advice. If I could go back in time and tell myself, Ivana, mind your business in the sense of like, it's become so easy to compare one person's experience to another person's experience to, okay, I'm going to do a Fulbright in Spain and I'm going to travel every weekend to all these other countries. But like, that's not always feasible for everybody. Right. And so being able to really be grounded in what was our, what was my purpose in doing this program? What was my purpose in starting this journey? And this is my journey. So however I flush out my abroad experience, that's the way that it was meant to be. And really sticking to being confident and self-assured that your track is meant for you and the experiences that you have were really designed for you. That it's not always going to be this Instagram quality picture. It's going to have those ups and downs. And that really is what makes it so beautiful at the end. It's great. Well, we're out of questions, but we have plenty of time for uh we're out of my questions, I should say. Now we have time for the Q&A. So just feel free to send them in the, the chat. 
uh, or you can unmute and uh, ask your questions directly. I'm good with either. Um, or while you're thinking of that, maybe we could ask, maybe, maybe we can go back and while you're thinking of those, we can maybe go back to that homesick question. Maybe, uh, um, you know, Natalie gave one suggestion. Any, any more while our uh, audience is thinking of questions? I will say one thing, because I did experience culture shock, like, pretty bad to where I was kind of like, I really don't know if I like it here anymore. <laughs> I was questioning myself. Um, towards the end of my study abroad, I just couldn't wait um, to come back, actually. But luckily, I had a friend. Well, the thing is, is when I had went, this was when all the church bombings were happening. So they had stopped studying abroad in Egypt during that time. There was only two other people from the U.S. with me, or two other people on studying abroad in Egypt during that summer. So it was literally us three. I think that made it more difficult because there wasn't a lot, um, there wasn't more people to kind of engage with and like kind of connect with uh, and be able to do things with. Um, I will say I was given a tip by one of the guys that I was on the study abroad with and he was like, oh, I do journaling. Hmm. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do journaling. Like that seems like, like I don't really know if that's something I would want to do. And he was like, it really does help. So I started doing that and I just felt so much better because I was able to like emotionally like release my feelings, but at the same time, like have like a dialogue with myself on how, what I was thinking and what I was experiencing with the culture, what I was experiencing regarding my own identity. So I think for me that that was super, super helpful. And just talking to other people, the other two people in the program and just kind of taking from the program, whatever I could that best suited my goals and, and to keep motivating me to keep pushing within the program. So I would say for that would be my my initial um, recommendation. Just have a journal, bring that travel journal with you, use that as like a mechanism, like an outlet for yourself. And um, also just know that like your like your one view of where you come from and how your life was, it's not everyone's view. So it's like also realizing that that place is everybody has a different mindset, a different culture, a different religion, different values and customs that they're bringing to it. So that can make you question things or make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. But like, it's always, that's always valid to feel that way. So just like definitely having a diary or speaking to somebody like in that country, like that you feel comfortable with about it. It's definitely, don't isolate yourself at all. Like that's the worst thing you can do because if you isolate yourself, then you're just not, you're not letting yourself express things or have that intercultural communication with the people that you should be having that relationship with. Yeah. Any other tips? We do have a question in the chat, but I just want to make sure that uh, our panelists, you know, virtual or in person, if they've got another um, sort of a helpful homesickness tip to um, let us know. Otherwise, we'll. Sure. So there were two things that uh, during this piece for training the youth calls, and I actually realized that they were helpful while, while I was in service. Um, say yes to everything, which goes back to your point of, you know, when I was at, at this local gym, every invitation that I got, I say yes, because I, I wanted to get immersed in the culture. I wanted to practice my Chinese, but also I wanted to, you know, follow that some advice and also trust the process. You know, for me, it was only two years. I did get homesickness, but very few. Um, I didn't have a culture shock. What I did have coming back was reverse culture shock. I didn't know that. I just so yeah. well to Chinese culture. <laughs> yes, but um, I think and journaling too. That was a big tool for me. And working out, going to the gym every day. That was tremendous. That was very helpful. I will say something about the reverse culture shock because I was coming back from New Delhi, India. You know, this kind of metros. You know, 
this big city of 25 million people. And then to go back home to Kansas City, Missouri, which is maybe a couple hundred thousand people, I was just, it was just, this place is so quiet. You know, even being in sort of in the middle of the city, just being amazed by, I don't hear, I don't see people. I don't see, where's everybody? You know, like you, you kind of get used to that. So our question though in the chat here is asking about, is there a specific link to apply um, for these types of scholarships? So I guess, you know, maybe we can sort of use that question as like, um, we can put stuff in the chat too, but um, you know, where, if you're trying to find out exact information about a study abroad uh, scholarship or a program, where, where do you, where should you start, I guess? Or I would say uh, first connect with the study abroad office because they would have, they usually have like those resources as far as what scholarships you can apply for directly for study abroad. There's usually also uh, some schools, colleges, universities, they'll have like a, a overarching grant slash scholarship portal where you can kind of search based on uh, different categories or what you think, what category you would fit under. There's there's so many different scholarships. Like there's a scholarship for being Native American, there's a scholarship for being uh, Latino. There's there's so many different things that you could possibly apply for, disability type uh, or accessibility type scholarships. There's, there's so many things. So for instance, some programs do fully cover funding wise. So you don't have to worry about that with those. But then for the ones that, that don't, you definitely want to find those to help help you especially financial is one of your one of your concerns yeah and, and i'll just add that even within like something like the gilman they have like a critical needs component too so you can apply so hey you you really want to learn a critical needs language maybe you don't feel like you're ready to apply for the cls apply for the the critical needs award that's on top of your your gilman so you could get up to i think it's eight thousand it's five thousand for gilman i think three thousand for the critical needs. So you can get the study abroad, the internship abroad. You can also get the language training. And then I think you're in an even better position to apply for something like CLS. So, And if you're a recipient of Pell Grant, that also covers your study abroad. Right. So the follow-up question, um, yeah, any field is welcome. Any any other advice about, I guess, I mean, someone kind of talked earlier about Google searching, um, looking through, um, you know, start contacting your study abroad office. Did, um, did I forget if any of you talked about maybe a particular advisor you worked with? Um, were any of them particularly helpful in finding a, a study abroad program or a study abroad scholarship? Any sort of professor or faculty member? Uh, I would say uh, so specifically because I was majoring in Arabic and Middle Eastern and North African studies. All my Arabic teachers were very informed about studying abroad and like the different programs for studying abroad for Arabic. So that was like my initial first like point of contact. And then from there, I was able to connect with the study abroad office. And our office actually had a person that uh, was on top of different region based on what regions you're interested in studying. And they were they covered all those programs within that region. And that was really helpful for me. So there was one specific person I would go to for that, as well as um, the study abroad fairs also is another way I was able to connect if I didn't want yeah. to just focus on like my region and what I, what I was interested in. Um, actually, one thing I will say too, um, going back to what you had mentioned, sorry, no, um, reverse homesickness, I don't think you said reverse homesickness. Um, what my college did was something really interesting and we were able to go to a local school to unpack like our study abroad experience and like figure a way how to do an elevator pitch and put that in our resume. That's one thing that I found super helpful because it was an opportunity to not only engage with other study abroad alumni, 
but as well as figure out how to tailor that into a professional way and like, okay, this is my experience. Well, how do I put that on paper? So that's just something I thought, something that came to my mind. <laughs> yes, um, and I'll add, for me, my advisor was Dr. Anastasia Lynn. To this day, I still keep in contact with her. And a lot of, she managed to get a lot of my friends to apply to Gilman, to Fulbright, and all these other National Competitive Scholarships together. So what she would do is she would have sessions where we would go in and she would review, she would have us read our essays out loud, like if we felt comfortable, right? Yeah. It was virtually, it was in person. She would start during the summer. She, it was like boot camp. Yeah. National Competitor Scholarship Boot Camp. And it was super helpful. And we have this ongoing joke letter. If you're applied to one thing with Dr. Lynn, then you're hers forever. She's not ever going to let you go because once you apply to one thing, she's going to keep sending you emails. Hey, you should be right. good for this. Hey, apply to this. So it's it was an amazing relationship that I was able to form with my study abroad advisor. That's, yeah, that's what I did for my Fulbright was we did like a, like a workshop, like a summer workshop where it was just a week of, we work on personal statement one day, we work on statement of grant purpose the next day. And just having that time to do it is just, you know, mm -hmm. and starting early, like again, the idea of time, like it, it can really make a big difference. Um, it, so yeah, if you have a question, uh, feel free to, oh, we have a question here from the audience. <laughs> Hello. I see a recurring theme was confidence, uh, mm -hmm. how students should be confident to apply and how confident you all sound now that you've had that experience. Mm -hmm. But looking back at yourself prior the study abroad and all of these experiences, what would you recommend? Where can students get that confidence to mm -hmm. actually go and apply? Great question. Yeah. Um, I would say definitely it's like just have have like that hope. I mean it's kind of hard like where do you get that hope from? But it's like you just have to have just a little bit. You don't need a lot. Just like <laughs> You might not see some, like I said before, like for me, it was a lot of, I don't think I see kids like me doing this. So that was kind of something that dissuaded me. But realistically, if it's something that you really want for yourself and that you envision for yourself, you know, you've got to just go for it. I mean, the worst that can happen is it's a shut door, but even if it's a shut door, you could try again. There's so many people yeah. that, I, that are actually alumni ambassadors for CLS right now that they didn't get accepted into CLS until their maybe fifth application. Yeah. So it's like, you might have been shut shut out all those other times, but if you really want it, go for it. Don't let somebody tell you no, because the only person that's really going to tell you no and shut that door is going to be yourself. So that's what I would say. Because it, it, it took me, it was my fourth try to win the CLS. After the third time, I said, like, I'm never going to do this again. But I won it the fourth time, but I had to turn it down, uh, be, as well as the Bourne, because I won the Fulbright. Like, I wanted, so you'll have those kind of, like, you know, famine years where you don't, you apply for stuff, you don't win them, and then you'll have like a bumper crop year where you win them, and you have to be like, I have to, I, you know, I tried my best to, to do them all, but I couldn't do it. But I, I needed Fulbright because I wanted the time to do research, and I also got a little bit of language training. But yeah, it could take you three, four, five times to do it. But I knew that each time my application got better, uh, I knew that it was stronger and stronger. Uh, so there's always that benefit of it is that, like, look, I'm making the best possible case each year. Um, I, I think these are good applications. And then you can use those ideas or, you know, refashion them for other things. It certainly gives you experience in writing a cover letter for an internship or a job or, you know, if you do graduate studies. So getting in that experience, the sooner the better, as well as if you're going to apply for grants or fellowships as a graduate student, particularly those who are interested in STEM, like you're going to spend a lot of your career applying for some sort of funding. So start early and do it often. Is it okay if I add on? 
Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I am not able to see the face of the person that asked the question, but the fact that you're in the room right now and you just asked that question proves that you have the confidence to continue. You already took the first step. <laughs> and I'll add, you don't have to have the perfect 4.0 GPA, yeah. be the most involved student, being in honors classes to quote unquote be deserving mm -hmm. of you being able to apply to a national competitive scholarship. It's right. about your lived experiences because I know that a lot of students also applied with me, you know, they were, had maybe more involvement than I did. They were studying a major, maybe they had a higher GPA, but for one reason or another, they didn't get it. So again, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And you yeah. learn from your rejections. I got rejected from the gentleman three times. Third time's a charm. <laughs> the time will come. <laughs> um, I do want to add something here. So confidence for me has always been uh, uh, a journey because uh, I guess three or five years now, five years ago when I did Peace Corps, I was not confident at all. And um, I went there to teach English. I've always been concerned about my accent, not being able to speak English well. And the odds were that I was sent there as an English uh, teacher. So that experience gave me the confidence that I have now. So I will say just uh, take a leap of faith and, and do it. Um, if your dreams are you know, to if your dreams are stronger than, than your lack of confidence, you're you're gonna be able to do it. That's great. Any, any of the virtual panelists have some tips, advice about about confidence? Definitely. So when I went to scholarship, I was 20 years old. I hadn't finished my undergrad. The confidence was low. It doesn't get you lower than that. And so one of the tips that I kind of do now and did then is I try to avoid reaching out to too many alumni of like something so prestigious as Rhodes, because that will cause you to feel less confident. Like, I think you have to be very selective of whose profiles you're going to reach out to and like what you're going to be doing. And I most definitely did not look up anyone else who was competing at the same time as me, because that's just like a really good way of psyching yourself out. You're going to be like, oh, why would they choose me? There's someone who's doing these really amazing work and I'm just here trying to do this humanitarian thing. And that's really nothing compared to what they're doing. And so I think that's one of the one, like ways that you preserve confidence versus building confidence is like, you got to be able to tell yourself, like, I'm a good candidate. I don't have to be the best, but I'm going to give it my best. And that alone is going to help you so much more than trying to like find the confidence out of nowhere to come out and apply for this. So I think that I completely agree with one of the panelists who just said, like, you know, if your dream is bigger than that you're definitely standing a great chance of doing what it is that you set out to do. Oh, we have one more. We have a quick, another question here from the audience. <laughs> so it is a pleasure to listen to all your stories. And it was really interesting to hear each of your journey through this, through different ways and what you learned and what you achieved. So I have a question. How did this experience actually help you propel your current career? Where are you now? And uh, what do you think you really gained from that experience to help to propel yourself to the better career? Great question. Now this open career? I would say for me, I'm still on my career journey for sure. <laughs> I'm getting to, I guess, that dream career. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I work uh, in the Office of English Language Programming for the Department of State. When I first started my undergraduate, I definitely 
thought and I've always kind of was like, okay, this is what I want to go for. This is what I'm going to go for. But then it completely shifted during grad school, which is, it's also, it was a little bit frightening, but it's also very acceptable because sometimes it's just not what you need to do. And that shifts like over time. Um, I always wanted to do translating and interpreting. So I did my undergrad in Spanish translation and interpretation apart from my Arabic and stuff. So I wanted to do translating for like my multiple languages. Um, and for me, like that was a big change during my graduate <laughs> where I was like, I don't think I want to do this anymore because it was more broad. It was like intercultural international communication for um, uh, like in a, a different school that was so focused, like and this was in DC, so focused on like working for the government and like, but uh, diplomacy and like different types of things of that nature. So that kind of shifted like my mindset. And I was like, well, as much as I love language and like, I could do translating and interpreting. It doesn't have to be just that. I could always like use my language in another sphere. So now that I work within the State Department, it's like it's awesome because I can see what work different uh, different offices are working on specifically specifically for cultural diplomacy, which is like my biggest like interest and like thing that I want to work in. But I definitely feel that I get nuggets of like okay, like this is where I need to be because. Um, a lot of it's focused obviously on English, but I think I focus my main focus has always been on like learning other languages besides English because English is so dominant everywhere as it is. Um, I do think knowing English gives you a lot of opportunities um, and gives a lot of people open doors that might have not been there previously. And so, and also, for example, right now there's this huge disinformation um, thing going on as well as um, specifically with everything going on in Ukraine and Russia and yeah. like all that stuff and making sure teachers are equipped to still teach and you know, like in their, their, where they're at and also um, having knowledge in English, especially like with social media and stuff like that, it's like super helpful. So like, I think sometimes like for me, like I think I shifted, but it's like where I'm needing to be and I'm growing as I'm going and it might not be like exactly where I want to be right now, but like, I think everybody grows in their own time. So never like, like mentioned earlier, don't ever compare your journey to someone else's journey because yeah. then that's going to, there's no reason to, because you're your own person. You have your own values, thoughts and your own, path and like don't do that to yourself and just kind of see where it takes you pretty much so for me um i believe one thing it opened my, the doors to entrepreneurship studying abroad because unique story so remember how i told you that i was going to graduate in may but ended up graduating in august because i studied abroad in Peru that summer well, upon getting closer to graduation, I was looking for graduation regalia that, you know, represented my culture and my university had nothing, right? I was like, wouldn't it be really neat if I could write on there, you know, that I was a Gilman scholar, if I could decorate my stash of like the flags where I studied abroad or I entered, et cetera, et cetera. But there was nothing like that. So then last minute, I found literally a table runner on Amazon <laughs> that I personalized by sticking like the letters to just like programs and scholarships that I had uh, received. And it took me forever. <laughs> and now that I graduated from my master's, I was able to connect um, with my hometown's local seamstress in Mexico. So now I have my own business where I provide uh, students and connect them with their heritage. Um, the, my stoles are 100% made in Mexico, and I invest in a percentage of every sale to provide school supplies for the children of my hometown. So it, that's, I think, for me, the most beautiful thing that came out from studying abroad, this entrepreneurship journey and being able to give to my community back in Mexico and also here in the US. 
So if y'all want to ever need a stole that's personalized, <laughs> that's embroidered in Mexico, you can follow me on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. That's the one that you I love it. Thank you. Um, for me, so I didn't know of any of the benefits that being a return visitor volunteer was so had. I, um, as soon as I got back, I, I used my NCE, my non-competitive eligibility, mm -hmm. to apply for federal jobs, and I got in, and I've been with GSA since, since then, for two years, or almost three years now. So there's a lot of advantages that, uh, you know, especially with Peace Corps, if you decide to do it, uh, when you come back, you have a lot of uh, options also for master's programs mm -hmm. and, and other things as well. Great. You can do uh, the, what she was talking about, the NCE, the national the non -competitive eligibility. That's also true for Gilman, I think, critical language. And I know it is for Fulbright. And if you do something like the Boren Scholarship, there's a one-year uh, federal federal government service, but it's it's broadly defined. So it could be working in the Department of Justice, could be working for uh, an intelligence agency, could be working through a, a government-sponsored uh, foundation. It's very, um, very open to that. So. But if you're interested in a career in the federal government, the NCE is a great tool to have or a great resource to use. Anybody uh, want to add something about, um, you were asking more about like career development, right? Or Yeah. My dream baseline has always been to come back and build the Caribbean region, Latin America. And um, the fact that I'm out here just working on my NGO, working on a social enterprise back home in Belize is kind of just telling you that Obviously, this career is being built off of this one experience. And so I definitely think my career is going somewhere. I don't know where, but somewhere. Yeah, yeah I think the benefit it gave me is a little more intangible. I love what somebody said earlier. I'm growing as I'm going. I felt very concerned in college that my life would just be finding one thing to work in and being in it for the next 30 to 35 years and you're stuck and then you retire and that's it. And I didn't realize how unfulfilled I felt in that thought process. And these programs have really opened my eyes to the fact that there is so much need and so many opportunities available and that just want people that are risk takers, that are creative thinkers, that are willing to find um, resources that aren't being used right now. And being able to use these different programs as a tool to build that skill set that can be translated into any field that I want to transition into, in addition to having non-competitive eligibility, in addition to having access to graduate programs with 100% funding, in addition to having fee waiver access, in addition to having career services support, right? All of those little benefits, it just really provided me with something I hadn't expected to be able to use for the rest of my life. I'll add to that a lot of these scholarships have like alumni organizations. They have like professional development or webinar sort of uh, resources for alums of the program so that you stay involved, but also that it's, this is, you know, an important step on professional career development. Um, if you have any questions, you can unmute uh, both camera or your microphone, or you could add stuff in the chat box. We have just a couple minutes left. So I think maybe I'll, I'll ask sort of a, have a fun, you know, concluding question, which was, you've talked about your study abroad, these were in the past. Um, would you do another one? Would you go back to the same place or would you do something very different? 
<laughs> Shoot. So this is a little bit difficult because I have a very soft spot for the Mina region. <laughs> um, so I don't think, okay, I, I would definitely do a study abroad again, um, but I'm not sure if that's in my future because I'm, I don't think I'm going for PhD or anything like anything like that. Um, so I'm not sure if I would have the opportunity unless it's maybe Fulbright and I'm going mm -hmm. uh, like for a research reason, but for I mean, I'm not sure if research is the only way I can do a Fulbright or not, but I just don't know if that's in my near future. Um, I would do it again if, if it wasn't that, that being studying at the moment is a requirement. But um, I don't think, I think I would choose somewhere different because I think I'm kind of limiting myself to growth if I'm just sticking with a region that I feel now very, very comfortable with. So I think I would probably branch out. I'm not sure where. I very like, I don't really care where. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. For me, I would have done it in another country where the language wasn't Spanish because I already knew Spanish. I just mm -hmm. I wanted to perfect my writing in Spanish. I would have done it in, in Germany because I in high school I learned oh. German. <laughs> and I would definitely apply that full right again. Maybe not over the next year, but over the next five years. Yeah. My answer is yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean I still need to go for my master's, so hopefully I can I can find a study program and do it. Um, if I will choose China or Brazil again, um, that's a tough question because I love both countries. Yeah. I think they, they gave me so much and I gave, I gave a lot to those countries as well. But I think, uh, you know, there's a whole world to, to, to see. Yeah. Um, so I'd definitely be interested in, I guess, going to other continents, so India or Africa. Yeah, definitely applying. Um, I've actually applied to volunteer abroad next summer in Fiji. So hopefully that works out. But really and truly, I'm keen to see the world and I would love to go to Asia. Anywhere that's kind of tropical and similar climate to the Caribbean, but completely different would be awesome. Um, so yeah, definitely would love to live somewhere else for a while again. 100% yes. I'm currently abroad. I want to extend my grant for another year and I want to go everywhere. I mean, it, you really just don't realize how accessible it is until you do the one and then you're like, oh my gosh, but I can do another, but I can do another, but there's so much more. <laughs> it's like such a wonderful experience. No, I, I, I completely agree. You, you want to do another one as soon as you get back and you're just thinking about all the, seeing one place you want to see even more and you know, so echo that, like once you've seen one part of the world and you know that that stuff's out there, you just want to see more. So we are exactly at three. So we are right on time. Um, I just want to say uh, again, my name is Mark Reyes. I've been the moderator of today's Choosing the Exchange program. That's right for me. I'm, we've been broadcasting from the wonderful Wolfson campus here at Miami-Dade College. I want to thank our panelists today, the in-person and virtual panelists. I want to thank the audience. I want to thank Cheyenne and Fulbright Latinx for putting on this wonderful program and just bringing us all together, bringing us all here. Thank you so much. Well, everyone, we hope you enjoyed the final episode of our alumni panel series in learning about the various grants that exist and the experiences of our fellow Latinx community members, maybe you feel just that much closer to embarking on your own exchange experience abroad. Regardless of where you may be in the process, we're thrilled to have been able to provide resources both to alumni and prospective applicants in their journeys. And lastly, we hope that these various Latinx stories abroad remind you that estamos juntos or estamos juntos 
that we got your back and we're here to support your own path abroad. Until next time, and abrazos from the Fulbright Latinx team. Hasta luego. Até ya. The song you're listening to is Vamos a Tocar Sonero by Frank Guerrero y su grupo Ashe. And this episode was edited by Madeline Santizo and Genesis Garcia. Oh,